1 Peter chapter 4. As Taylor mentioned, we are in verses 12 to 19. We were there last week. Travis covered 12 and 13. I've got the singular verse of 14, and Stan next week has 15 through 19. Always give Stan the longest portions. Uh, but this is a series, a trio of messages really about sharing in Christ's suffering and glory. And as I've been thinking about this paragraph for a number of weeks, in fact, our study group on Monday afternoons, our elders on Tuesday mornings, we've been reading through this for a number of weeks, even prior to Travis's opening message last week. We've just been kind of digging into this paragraph, and the word that's been kind of laid over my mind about this paragraph is the word escalation. Will you say that word with me? Escalation. But, and I think what, what's happening in this paragraph is that Peter is, in many ways, escalating the overall theme of the book, which is to suffer well, to endure well when you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, to make sure that you have a humble, submissive posture and to trust the Lord. That's kind of the real aim of Peter's book. In this paragraph, I think he escalates a lot of that. I think especially in two ways. I think he, first of all, escalates his language. Now, you'll find the word share in the opening verses. I think it's the only time it's actually mentioned in this paragraph, but it is a, an escalation of what he's already said twice. Let, let me walk you through this briefly. We're still kind of introducing this paragraph. I want to make sure you feel the weight of it. He said in chapter 2 that we're to follow in Christ's steps. That chapter was also about Christ's sufferings and how we're not to expect anything less, and so we're to follow him. It's kind of an imitation. He said later in chapter 4, verse 1, we're to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking, which was Christ's way of thinking. Of course, talking there about Christ's suffering again. And there he kind of speaks in terms of preparation, to arm yourself. So in both of those, we have the same concept. But in this third mention, he uses the word share, which is really more of a word of participation. And I'm not saying the other two words aren't uh, excellent and, and, and they convey the right message. Yes, they do. They're, but I think this word share is, is a little more intimate than follow or arm. It's like one's, yes, uh, pre pre preparation, one's imitation. But in this one, we have this joining. Like something's happening when we're being persecuted that we are now sharing in Christ's sufferings. We're not just following, and I don't want to minimize the words follow, so just work with me here. We're not just following, we're not just arming, we're now actually participating. There's a joining, there's a level of intimacy in that moment that I think Peter's trying to now relate to us, and so he's escalating his language. I think there's an escalation in situation as well. This is the first time, and Travis laid this out for us, that he uses the words fiery trial. He's used the words suffering before, persecution, being reviled, maligned, but now he really escalates and talks about it in terms of a fiery trial sent to test us. And so just understand as we dive into this paragraph, and especially verse 14, we are seeing a sense of escalation in Peter's language, in his tone, in his heart for these readers. I think summarily, Peter is heightening the call to suffer well during end times warfare. 
and to see persecution as an intimate partnership with Jesus in his sufferings. Now, do you remember our definition of sharing in Christ's sufferings? We brought some specific words to that so we could all be on the same page. It is experiencing the what and why of righteous persecution just like Christ. And so when that happens to you, Peter says you are sharing in Christ's sufferings. You are intimately participating with him and he with you. And this concept is seen very clearly in the singular verse I have the pleasure of unpacking for you today, verse 14. So your Bibles are open. Put your eyes on this singular verse. Will you utilize our lab to walk through it and understand as much about it as we can in the time we have? 1 Peter 4.14. In fact, will you read this verse with me together? Let's begin, church. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Even this verse in its language has a sense of escalation to it. Let me show what I mean. First of all, he here describes specifically the kind of persecution he's speaking of in this paragraph. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ. I'll come back to that in a moment as a caveat to this section. But just see, here he says, if you're insulted, the word there is reproached, maligned, insulted, um, you know, you can even use the word belittled, ridiculed. There is a verbal sense to this word, somewhat of, a, of an attack with words. And Peter here is saying, when this happens and you're being maligned verbally for the name of Christ, not because of your own sin or stupidity, could someone say amen? But when you're being maligned verbally, when you're being ridiculed and reproached because you wear the name of Christ because you are a Christian, he says, watch this, you are blessed. Now, there's an equation going on here that I think is intriguing, and I'm not sure I even understand it all, but he says these are in some ways synonymous. When you're insulted, you're blessed. Now, we don't think that way, do we? We think of one as negative, the other as positive, and so they must exist differently. But he says, no. When you're insulted for Christ's name, oh, yeah, you're blessed. There's an equality there that's hard for our minds to get around. So would you just, maybe in your notes, just maybe draw an equal sign? Realize that you don't normally think that way. But Peter here is saying, being reproached is actually, being reproached for Christ's name is actually a blessing. It may be that in this moment, Peter's thinking of Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, when Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when men revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Same word, blessed. By the way, the word blessed here means happy. In fact, some translations have the phrase Happy are you. But who, who thinks that way, right? Oh, I was just ridiculed, reproached, verbally maligned. This is the happiest day of my life. <laughs> That's not how we think. So do you see why Peter's escalating? Now in his third mention of this idea of suffering, really being a moment of blessing, and, and we're sharing in Christ's sufferings, he's saying this is a moment of blessing for you. 
of, of happiness. But we have to ask ourselves, why are we blessed when we're insulted for the name of Christ? He tells us next. It's because, key word there, the spirit of glory and of God, which if you've if you got a bracket that, just put the uh, letters HS for Holy Spirit. That's what he's referencing here. But notice how he escalates who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does. He's the spirit of glory. The word there is weight. So he brings God's weight into our life. He brings God's presence, the value and the, the impact of God is through the Holy Spirit. And so we're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The word rest means to settle. This isn't just something that the Holy Spirit does. Watch this. It's something the Holy Spirit gives. Same word used in Matthew. I think it's 11. When Jesus said, all who are weary, come to me and I will give you, say it, church, rest. So yes, in a moment of a verbal insulting, reproach, ridicule, you actually should consider yourself happily blessed. Why? Because in that moment, God's Holy Spirit is weighing in on you and settling upon you and settling you He's giving you peace and rest through his presence. Now, I don't think this means that prior to persecution, we don't have the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. It's not what he's saying. But I do think, again, it comes back to escalation. I do think Peter here is saying, in times of persecution for the name of Christ, you have an increased awareness of his presence. Could someone say amen to that? You see, we're just not as cognizant of God's presence in times when we think we've got it all under control. You know, control's a myth. It's an illusion, right? But we think we have it sometimes. And then suddenly when things are such that we can't control or change and we find that our only option is to humbly submit, which is really the point of the book, and then we have to entrust our souls to a faithful creator Suddenly, let's just be really frank. As humans, we begin to sense and are more aware of God's presence. He's always there. You just didn't recognize it as quickly. This is what Peter is saying. Again, he's escalating what's happening in moments of persecution. We actually are blessed. Why? Because we are more aware of God's presence. So just write a couple of words here, would you? For that first phrase, just write the word persecution. And then in the last phrase, just write the word presence. I would say to you, I was going to write the word power in here, but the truth is when the Holy Spirit's presence, uh, when we're more aware of it, it is a powerful moment. The Holy Spirit is the avenue of God's power. And so I think this verse is such a beautiful picture of the escalation that's taking place in the whole paragraph to help us think correctly about what's going on when we're insulted, when we're reproached, when we're ridiculed. It's a moment we should consider ourselves blessed. Why? Because we are more aware than ever 
of the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. As he says here, the Holy Spirit's the spirit of glory, of weight. It brings God's presence more dramatically. He brings God's presence more dramatically and emphatically and, and personally into our awareness, our scope of reference. Now, one caveat I want to just kind of unpack with you while we meditate and chew on this verse. And I want to ask for your permission here to be very candid with you and for you to hear me all the way to, all the, way to the end, all right? I want to repeat something Travis said last week to make sure we don't miss this. The caveat in this verse is that this occurs when we're insulted for the name of Christ. So I want to be textually faithful. I know that's what you want out of your pastors. We want that out of our sheep and shepherds, right? We don't just make up the Bible. We don't get to insert our own opinions. We have to take the Scriptures for what to say. And in this verse, in this paragraph, in this book, Peter's understanding of suffering is suffering for righteousness' sake. That's the phrase used often. Here he talks about being insulted for the name of Christ. I'm not saying there's not other kinds of suffering. There are, amen? Many of you are enduring them. But in this verse, and in this paragraph, and in this book, the suffering in Peter's view is persecution for righteousness' sake. So I'm going to ask you, pastorally, friendly, to make sure that that's the primary suffering in your windshield. That it is, I'm not saying there, are, there isn't other kinds of suffering. But let's be faithful to this text that we're looking at for these number of months, for these three weeks, this paragraph, for today, this verse. And it involves being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Illness, other situations, are those suffering moments? By all means. And I'm sure they have their place, and we understand God's presence. They teach us things. God uses that without a doubt. That's another set of messages. Amen? In this message, in this series, in this text, he's speaking of suffering for righteousness sake, which is, and you can check the previous messages, when you are reviled, insulted, maligned, or reproached, or persecuted because you are a Christian. Now, here's what I want to say to you in all candor. That doesn't happen a lot to us. Now, I didn't say it never happens. I was calculating this, this week. Have I ever experienced this? And I think maybe twice in my life. Now, maybe some of you more. I think a lot of this is a, a location-dependent issue at times. We know that for millennia, Christians have been persecuted. It was true in the first century. It was true in Acts. You can read chapter 8. It's true now in other parts of the world in a more uh, intense fashion than our part of the world. India, China, Middle East, parts of Africa. It's been true for, for centuries. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but in this Midwestern part of North America and in this specific local church, can I just be this pastorally transparent with you? This doesn't happen a lot. It happens some and perhaps more for others. But by and large, most of us rarely experience this. At least, that's how it is currently. 
I think things will probably change. I don't always bring the culture into my preaching. In fact, I rarely bring the culture into my preaching. I'm not a hot button issues kind of guy. Some of you have taken me to task on that. I respect you. I disagree, but I respect you. I have solid reasoning for why I do it the way I do it. But today I want to kind of uh, vary from that a bit and just share with you. I do think, culturally speaking, if the Lord does not return or there isn't a sense of revival among God's people in the culture, you will begin to see an increasing amount of persecution. Here's why I think that. I'm going to say more on the Extra Point podcast, so be sure to listen this week. I know very few of you actually listen, but I don't do it for you. I do it for my own therapy and clarity, so don't worry about it. All five of you that listen, be sure to listen. If you need to know where the Extra Point podcast is, uh, just check our Facebook page or the website. It, it, you'll find a link to it. I'll say a whole lot more on that this week, but here's the nut graph of it all. We are living in an increasingly... Um, our society is becoming increasingly non-absolute authority. Is that even a word or a phrase? In other words, um, and you've seen this happen for decades. But, but when a segment of the culture submits and understands there is an authority outside of them, i.e. God and His Word, the Bible, and they live among a people who see that they are the authority. An inevitable collision is bound to happen. And we are becoming a culture increasingly that thinks they are God. That whatever they feel, believe, or want, they can just say, it's right. Even if it clashes and goes against God's word. Now, I'll mention more specifics on the podcast, all right? Just know this, that can't coexist amiably forever. And so we've seen signals, we've seen moments where that's collided. Wouldn't you agree? But would you also agree it's not that difficult to be a Christian in America yet? It's okay to say that. Some of you, I feel like you're really nervous when you say that. That's just the way it is. It's not that hard. But it may not always be that way. And so in light of this verse and what may be coming if the Lord doesn't return or if things don't change, here's my pastoral advice to those in this room, in this church, in Midwest America. Prepare your kids and your grandkids. To be honest with you, I don't really fear a lot for what I'm going to go through in the next 20 years. In 20 years, I'll be 78. Um, you know, will I experience jail for my beliefs, for my preaching, I probably don't think I will. Will I experience more taxes or a, a fee or a charge or will there be litigation? Maybe, but I just don't think that the pace of the persecution is going to be that quick. But here's what I do think. That my son's kids may face a culture that is increasingly oppositional. My three daughters their children. And the truth is, perhaps my grandchildren's children, assuming things don't change and the Lord doesn't come, it could be a culture that you don't even recognize. And by the way, your grandparents are saying that about this culture. Like, when did a man start marrying a man? And I'm not trying to be humorous. I'm not mocking. I'm trying to be serious with you. Your grandparents 
could never fathom that would be considered right. They couldn't, they could not comprehend that someone who is a woman could say, I'm actually going to be a man. They would say that's biologically, scientifically impossible. But you see what I'm saying? When, when we see ourselves as the authority, which Romans 1 says, we see ourselves as God. Instead of seeing that there is a God outside of us who has authority over us, that culture, when you have people living in those two segments in one culture, there will be a clear and inevitable collision. That's what I believe we're headed for unless something changes. So in light of that, do you read this verse differently now? Because I would say to you, it's hard to read this verse in 2022 knowing that it's pretty easy to be a Christian in America. There's not a lot of cost to it. And again, I say that knowing that there are maybe a few pockets where it's not always true for everyone. But I think you would appreciate my candor here and say, He's, you're only right on that. It's not that hard. But it may not always be that way. And when this verse becomes true in this Midwestern town, in this specific church, will you say, oh, we are blessed. Because we are more aware than ever of God's presence resting on us and giving us rest. Will your grandchildren and will their children believe this verse? That's the caveat that I need you to kind of hold in your lap even while you digest this verse. Again, more on the podcast Tuesday. Be sure to listen. And my prayer is that we will see this verse not only for its impact currently, which should affect how we think, but it would affect how we act to those who are coming after us, knowing what could potentially happen in our own neck of the woods. And for those of you who think I never bring culture into the sermon, there you go. That was for you. Well, let me, let me kind of take all these thoughts and put them into some mathematical equations for you. Because I think what's happening here is not just escalation. I think there's some equations that are happening. Let me give you six words to kind of summarize this singular verse. And even what Travis said last week, uh, this verse, and what Stan will say next week. You could probably use these six words to kind of see what's happening here mathematically. All right? That being belittled is equal to being blessed. But it's, it's a blessing that's escalated. Like the blessing is greater than the belittling. That being persecuted is equal to the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. But the presence of God is so much more great and is escalated that it doesn't make the persecution seem like it's something that, that we can't endure. Watch this. Vilification equals verification. When they ridicule you and reproach you, the Spirit of God is resting upon you. It proves 
they belong to Jesus. And the fact that they would ridicule you and you don't deny who you are, that's verification. You're one of God's. So these things are happening in this text. But the words to the right, the blessing, the presence, the verification, it's always greater. It's escalated. It's much like what Paul would say, that our temporary, momentary trials, they're nothing compared to the weight of glory that we'll see one day. So whatever it is you are enduring, and by that I mean persecution for Christ's sake. That's the one in view here. Amen, church? That's the textual understanding in this passage. Whatever it is, at whatever level you're enduring anything along those lines, the scriptures today are weighing upon us and telling us to consider that a blessing because it's verifying you as belonging to God and showing the Holy Spirit as present in your life, giving you rest and being rest for you. Now, that's why I'm calling today this take-home equation of escalation. Not everyone's a mathematician, so let me give it to you in some words. Can I do that? Same idea, but here it is for those of us who like grammar more than numbers. Here's the same thought. Here's this verse. Here's this this escalation sense, 1 Peter 4, 14, that intensifying affliction from persecution makes us increasingly aware of God's presence. Solid fact. You can get your hands around that. This is what Peter's saying. So will you read this out loud with me? Intensifying affliction from persecution makes us increasingly aware of God's presence. Please don't hear in that that nothing else makes us aware of God's presence. I didn't say that. I'm just telling you what this verse is saying to us in this paragraph. Other verses may say something similar. They may give us other understandings of God's presence. Great. We're not in those verses or that book today, right? We're in this book in this verse. And in this verse, the focus is on being persecuted because you're a Christian. And Peter assures us in those moments, consider yourself happily blessed because that is one of those moments when you can be more aware than ever that you belong to God and experience the Holy Spirit's presence. Let me give you two examples of this. One is so remarkable that I only need to read it for you. It's Stephen and Acts. And by the way, Peter was one of the elders in the church at this time. Stephen was one of his deacons. Can we say that? So Peter was well aware of this story and of this event when it happened. Maybe he's thinking of this story when he writes about the spirit of glory and of God resting upon you. Because notice the words used in Acts chapter 7 after Peter, excuse me, Stephen preaches a very long sermon and is very in their face. Verse 54 of Acts 7. I'm just going to read this to you. Notice the similarities and, and connections. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Speaking of Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, 
And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young men named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. There's a man that Peter knew who was reproached and maligned, reviled, and eventually martyred but knew that the spirit of glory and of God was resting on him. Real life. The other example, however, is in some sense the opposite. It's the example of Jesus, who, interestingly, and I want you to think about this with me, suffered alone Not the entire time, but there were three hours that he did not know the presence of God. When the earth's lights went out and Jesus was the substitutionary atoning sacrifice for our sins. And he hung there naked as the Lamb of God Bearing the sin of the world. He was alone. Not only does the New Testament tell us that all his human friends forsook him. But Jesus himself cried out with a loud voice in those three hours. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Both divinely And humanly, Jesus suffered alone. I think you can understand why in the garden the night before, he was praying for the Lord to remove this cup. He knew what was ahead. Three hours of bearing the sin of the world, of of paying the, the, the price, the penalty, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, the the pure for the unholy. Like this is what happened on the cross. And for those three hours, for sure, Jesus suffered alone. But here's why. So when you are persecuted, you don't have to. He bore God's absence in three hours so that you can enjoy God's presence forever. So the next time you're persecuted, yes, you are sharing in Christ's sufferings. But here's the one beautiful exception. You'll never be alone because Christ was alone in your place. He bore what you'll never have to bear. And so when you are treated unjustly as Jesus was, when you're maligned and ridiculed and reproached as Jesus was, know this, church. You'll never be reproached or ridiculed or maligned or persecuted alone. 
the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So be loyal to the name you wear as Christian. Stand firm. Be courageous. You can endure because God is with you.